All right, well, let's open in a word of prayer and uh, get into our studies. Father, we thank you for tonight and this time we have to come together and to share our prayer requests and, and needs and, uh, Father, with one another and, uh, Lord, to, to pray corporately and, Father, we just thank you for, for brothers and sisters that, that love us and that, that care and that, um, Father, we'll, we'll intercede on, on our behalf. Father, we come tonight and we are um, thankful for the encouraging words we've heard about Mike. Um, Father, we, we thank you that he is, is progressing. We, we do pray, Father, for the appointments that he has coming up with his the bandages and then um, the, the stent and, and his feet, Father, just there's a lot going on. And so, Lord, we just pray that you'll be with him, be with Sheila as they work through this, uh, Father, together. And, um, Lord, be with them um, throughout all those pr procedures. Lord, we, um, we pray for, for Tommy Moore tonight. We are thankful that he's, he's coming home and He's able to do that. We pray that you'll continue to be uh, with him. And, and Father, we pray tonight for um, Danny. And uh, Father, we just pray that you'll be with him and, and be with the family, Father, and as they um, as they go through this time. Uh, Father, just pray that your spirit would, would minister to them um, in a very, very special way. We, we pray tonight, Lord, for... Jacob, as he's finishing up the trail, and, and Father, uh, just pray that you would, would be with him as he continues, Lord, keep him safe um, as he travels. Lord, we pray tonight that you would be with us, you would teach us, Lord, open our minds to, to understand, uh, Father, your word, and, and Lord, use your word to pierce our hearts, Lord, to change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Open with me tonight to 1 John, uh, chapter 2. First John, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at that a little bit later on this evening. And uh, we'll look at the end of chapter 2 and then on to a little bit of, of chapter 3. And so tonight we're going to look at a, another topic in in cultivating biblical godliness in this series. And the, the topic that we're going to look at and, and think about together and address tonight is um, how should we get ready for Christ's return? Um, in, in some ways, it seems to be kind of a, a timely topic because with the, the recent events in the, in the Middle East, I know a lot of people are kind of asking these questions. Is it, is it getting time? Is it, is it close? Bless you. Um, bless you. <laughs> and kind of how, how should we think about this? And, um, and so we do know from Scripture that it tells us He is coming soon. And, and Scripture tells us we should be eagerly awaiting His return with, with great anticipation in our hearts. And so 
Um, it's, as we look through all of Scripture, it's, it's clear that how we should be, um, how we, sh- we should be uh, living and our, our thoughts and our actions, um, what should we should be doing as we eagerly await this return of the Lord. And so we're going to look at some, some of those things that Scripture says kind of as a whole to begin with, and then we'll kind of zero in on uh, the one passage in particular from 1 John. And I, I like the way the, the author phrased this. Um, when he said, this is what he said, Christ's second coming in Scripture gives direction to the Christian life. Seeing Christ in glory and being made like Him is what Christians want to do when they grow up. So it's an interesting way of phrasing that. You know, we talk a lot about that with asking children what they want to be um, when they grow up and their their job or um, vocation, what they want to do. And so the author kind of uses that phrase to address how we um, should be as believers, wanting to see him and wanting to be like him as we continue to grow in, in sanctification and in godliness. Um, and, and looking kind of again overall as, as Scripture kind of as a whole, there are two points that, that we see teaching about the way um, that the second coming of Christ should really affect us or or influence us. And, and first of all, we see that Christ's second coming is our comfort in death. So in, in the hardships and sickness and um, in the loss of our physical lives, we, we have comfort because we know that He will return and, and our bodies will be raised and we will be like Him. Uh, in First Thessalonians, Paul writes this, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then he says, Therefore encourage one another with these words. So he's just been talking about the, the return of Christ. When he comes again, and, and the word translated there, encourage, in the ESV, it's, it's translated as comfort in the, the King James and the New King James and, and New American Standard. It, it's a word that means to, to cheer up or to raise someone's spirits um, when, when you speak to them and, and talk to them and, and share things with them. And, um, and so what brings cheer and, and comfort and encouragement to us is the fact that our Savior will indeed return and we will be like him the the second way kind of looking at at, at a broad view of scripture um, that that we see um, affecting our lives as believers not only does it bring comfort in death it also brings motivation to how we live in our lives now Um, to live in in such a way that we're prepared and we're ready for his Return. We know, uh, for example, the, the parable of the, the ten virgins or ten bridesmaids in, in, uh, at the beginning of Matthew 15. And um, Jesus' point there of being ready for the return of the Master. Um, Peter also writes about this in his, his second epistle. He's, he's writing about 
the end of all things. Um, Pastor Kerry mentioned this Sunday morning in his sermon. He talks about how they're all going to be burned up or they're, they're going to be dissolved. And he writes this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So it's a, it's a rhetorical question, right? He's saying if these things are true, if it's going to be dissolved, if all of this is going to come to pass, then, then we should be living lives of holiness and godliness. Because we don't know when he's going to, going to return, but we, we know that, that when he does, we'll stand before him and we'll give an account for our lives. So therefore, we want to be holy and godly in our conduct. Um, Dr. McGraw, he then states, Does Christ's second coming make you long for the completion of your sanctification in glory? And then he makes this statement. This question comes close to asking. It's almost like asking, are you a Christian? Because we were saved to wait for the Savior to appear from heaven. So precisely because part of, of being a Christian means waiting with this great anticipation of the coming of the Lord when, when our sanctification will be complete. We'll be with Him forever with, without the power, the presence, or, or possibility of, of sin ever again. Do, do we long for that? It's something that, that we, we need to think about and have in our minds. So that, that's kind of looking at it in a, in a broad sense. Now let's kind of zero in on uh, this specific passage in, in 1 John um, at the end of chapter 2. And, and this passage, it kind of talks about this relationship between our spiritual maturity and the second coming of Christ. And so um, when, when we look at this, we're going to see this goal of hope, and it's that we might be, might not be ashamed before him. So um, we're going to read chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And so here we see, uh, the first thing we see here is an, an exhortation uh, from John, or this, this uh, command that he's encouraging them to do, and, and encouraging them to pursue, and, and is abide in him. Uh, I thought it was interesting that the word abide here occurs about uh, 23 times in this short epistle of, of 1 John. It's about three pages in my Bible, and it occurs 23 times. And it's, it's a word, it means to stay or to remain in a place or to live or to, to dwell in a particular place. Um, New Testament, the, the, the New Testament Greek to English dictionary says this, that it's a favorite of John to describe an inward, enduring, personal uh, communion. 
with Christ, this deep relationship with Him and, and affection for Him in our, our hearts. We read this, abiding in Christ means persevering in faith in Him, obeying Him, and fostering hope by using the means He has appointed to promote these ends. Uh, these things include uh, using the Word and the, the ordinances of, of baptism and, and Lord's Supper and prayer and uh, private and public worship. So as believers, we've got to be constantly seeking this deep personal communion with Jesus and to continually abide in Him. So there's, there's this exhortation to abide in Him. There's also this aim or, or this goal of abiding in Him. Um, and that's seen in verse 29. It says, We may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. We, we've, and we've, we all kind of have an idea of, of what this is like, at least in, a, in an earthly sense, in interacting with, with other people. We've all been you know, caught doing what we weren't supposed to do, be doing, um, to, have a, you know, to have a parent or a teacher or a, a superior at work or something like that show up unannounced, right, and kind of catch us off guard. Either, like I said, either we're doing something we weren't supposed to be doing or we're not doing something we were supposed to be doing. So, you know, watching TV instead of doing your homework. Right? Or, or look at social media instead of uh, attending the responsibilities at your job or anything like that and, and getting caught. And we, we know that that realization that that, that person is, is disappointed in us or, or they're hurt by the fact we've been behaving, been behaving in this way. We, we feel that shame and, and embarrassment. Um, and if that's the case with with another human being, imagine what it, what it would be uh, to be caught that way when Christ returns. And so it, it's not what we want to happen when, when Christ returns and we, we stand before him and we give account of our lives. Um, Jesus addressed th this truth in, in a series of three parables. We mentioned one a little bit earlier um, at the end of the book of Matthew. So uh, first, the parable of the wicked servant. Um, and so Jesus said this, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So the master gave the servant a, a job to do, gave him responsibilities. And, and it will be a, a blessing when that servant is doing that very job when the master returns. And then Jesus says, but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very, very graphic imagery being used there. Uh, next, uh, the parable of the ten virgins, or again, the, the ten bridesmaids. And their job was to escort the groom from the place where he, he was staying through the 
kind of through the city to the wedding party. And they would do this with, with torches, carrying these torches with them. And um, so we read in this story that, that while they're waiting uh, for the groom to come, the bridesmaids fell asleep. And some of the bridesmaids were prepared and had brought more oil for their lamps, and some had not. And so uh, the ones who did not have anything, any extra oil, had, had to go and try to find a place to buy some in the city um, so that they could light their, their torches. And Scripture says that while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready, to, uh, ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Jesus says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And the third thing here is the parable of the talents. Um, so Jesus says here, A master went away on a trip, and he gave three servants these different amounts of money. And they were, they were to guard this money, take care of it for him. And the first two invested it. Um, and when the master returned, they, they were praised for their faithfulness and how they had handled uh, the money that he had entrusted to them. The third servant did not invest the money, but rather buried the money um, that the master had given him in, in the ground. And the master comes and he says this, You ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who, is, who has... For to everyone who has will, be get, will more be given, I'm sorry, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So all three of these parables, kind of back to back to back, um, here teaching us not to be caught off guard or, or not to be caught being lazy or, or goofing off when, when the master returns, but rather be doing the jobs that he has given us to do. And so we have this motivation of, of how we live as we wait for his return. So we've seen here in the end of, of 1 John 2, we, we must abide in him so that we can be, be confident and not shrink back in shame when he comes. Uh, we also, we see further here in chapter 3 what it is that drives us to obedience. And so look there with me, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so three aspects here, three points that, that drive us to this obedience um, in our, our lives until Christ returns. First, adoption. Adoption. We are His 
children. We, we gain all the privileges of being His children with, with the right to an inheritance from Him. Therefore, that, that drives us to honor and to serve and to obey Him as our loving Father. We've been adopted by Him. We also see in this passage um, this idea of alienation. We're aliens. We're foreigners to the world. The, the world does not know us. Jesus taught the same thing to His disciples in John 15. And He said, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so the, the author here writes, is, John is, as it were, putting our adoption by God in Christ on one side of the scale and the animosity of the world on the other side. And he's showing us that belonging to God's family outweighs all the opposition that faces us. Adoption, alienation, and lastly we see anticipation. John writes that we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. And it's something that we as believers should, should be longing for like we long for, for nothing else. And so one more quote here from study. The unveiled glory of Christ is the heaven of heaven to believers. And heaven would not be heaven without him in their estimation. Our greatest hope is that we will see Him in His glory and be perfectly renewed in God's image in Him. It's the goal of the Christian life. As we said in the beginning this evening, that what believers want to be and want to, to see when they grow up. We go from this life to the next. When, when sanctification is complete and glorification is a reality, We'll be with Him forever. And so then we come and we, we ask this question, then what must we do with, to, to walk in, in this faith and this hope and, and love as we're waiting for Christ to return? And there's a few things. First of all, prioritize. We must prioritize. And, and by this we mean that uh, we should prioritize our thinking. And our meditation on the fact that indeed Christ will return and He will return soon. It's, it's training ourselves to look for and to long for His return. To, to make the return of Christ important in our, our minds and our thoughts. Um, we want to place this importance on it as we reread Scripture and um, think about that day that will come and He will return. Secondly, we should use the means that God has provided to us in order to, to more effectively consider Jesus' return. Um, these are things like the, the corporate worship service together. Um, you know, public reading of Scripture and and the preaching of sermons and, and singing of music that's devoted to the return of the Lord. Uh, the use of, of the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we see 
in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul states that when we take communion together, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So it's, it's right there in, in this very ordinance and in this Scripture that again, our mind are, minds are drawn to the fact that He will return. One of the last ways we can look at these, uh, these means that we have is through the Sabbath day. This, this day that the Lord created is a day of rest. And it, it reminds us of the return of Jesus. We see in Scripture that that this Sabbath day rest is, is meant to foreshadow, um, meant to, to show us an, an even greater rest that we will have in Him for all eternity. And this will be brought about when He returns in glory. And so, therefore, let, we want the return of Jesus to be, be a source of both great comfort for us, but also great motivation for us to righteousness and obedience to the Lord in the days that we have and knowing that He, he will come at, in any, at, at any moment. Um, and that when He comes, we will not be ashamed, but be confident. We might see Him and might be made like Him. So, let's pray. Father, we thank You tonight for Your Word and how it speaks to us and how it teaches us. Father, I pray that we would be, Lord, actively seeking to serve and to obey. Um, Lord, that we might be found being about your business when you return. Lord, we will not be ashamed, but be confident. Father, help us as we leave now to go and, um, Father, to worship and to, to obey. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.